One of those spiritual experiences that has really burned itself into my memory was when I was a teenager. I must have been about, gosh, I can't quite remember, anywhere between 13 and 15. And I was standing in a church service and the music was playing and I don't I don't even think it had much to do with the music, to be honest, but I was having this moment of intense, overwhelming joy and love, which was kind of characteristic of my spiritual walk in those days. And it was so magnificent to me that as I looked around, I just found the, the sound of the room and the people distracting. And I didn't want to miss out on this moment that I knew that it was just me and God that we were having it. So I left the room and I went outside. It was a nighttime. It was pitch black and it must have been summer because there were no clouds in the sky. And I sat under this tree, kind of hiding in this shadow so no one would disturb me. And I could just look up and see the stars. And I have this vivid memory of being totally overwhelmed with the beauty and the wonder of the world and of God. Just that that moment, I don't know if you've ever had one where you're staring up at the stars and you're embracing all of the, the amazing elements of it, the truth, the science of it, and the wonder of it, the beauty of it, and just think to yourself, how amazing is it to be alive? And in this moment, I could just feel, I felt like my whole body was going to explode with God's joy and His love. And I just sat there, I think I might have sat there the entire gathering, maybe like an hour and a half or an hour or something, and it just never left. And I remember going home thinking, Man, if I could just help somebody understand how beautiful God is, how could anyone not want to know Him? But the truth is, as life goes on, and you may have experienced this, I have experienced it in ebbs and flows in my life, my whole spiritual walk. But life goes on, and you read the Bible, or you go to church, or you're around Christians, and you start to get more strict. You go, oh, well, actually, yeah, God is pretty judgmental too. And he did say that you can't do that and you can't do that. And you begin to adjust. Where you started out of pure wonder and life and joy, you start to transform your own faith into this place of knowledge and right and wrong. And 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 you're learning things and it's so great. And there's nothing wrong with that. Except over time, that slowly becomes the biggest picture of your life. And you end up going to church and the most important thing to you is whether the theology of the songs are right or whether the, this person who's speaking says the, the right kind of thing for you or whether people are dressed right or whether there's a smoke machine or not and you're all offended. I don't know what it is for you. But we can quickly transfer our faith from this beauty and wonder that brought us into God in the first place into this place of knowledge and restriction. And for me, living a life of poetry being the poetry of God, God's masterpiece is about embracing and returning this beauty back to our faith. And Psalm 27, I love this verse, and it's actually really challenging. The psalmist says this, One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on His beauty and to seek Him in His temple. And I think it's amazing that after all of this time, it's believed it was co-authored David and another person. After everything that David had seen, and he saw a lot of war, he saw a lot of betrayal, he saw a lot of loneliness, he spent a lot of time in the wilderness. He had every reason to kind of form the cynicism 
around his faith, the cynicism of God, the cynicism of people, of Jerusalem, of other countries, and of creation. He had every opportunity to do that. But at the end of all of that experience, he came to this place of saying, there's only one thing that I want, and it's to be in God's house just looking at how beautiful he is. That's profound. It's profound and it's challenging. But I think it's also an invitation to us to imagine what it would look like if our primary goal of our faith wasn't to understand everything all the time, that it wasn't to project a certain image about ourselves into the world, that it wasn't to fix the church, that it wasn't to do this or to do that. But if our primary goal was actually this, to seek God and to gaze on his beauty all the days of our life, how much would our lives change? I mean, when I read that, I instantly think of peace. I think, imagine how much of our daily life that stresses us out would just wash over us. How much of the things that people say to us or the things that we see in the world, though they're important to us and we engage with them and we do something about them, how many of those things would just pale in their impact on our own soul? If it wasn't our priority to fix those things or to understand them, but to enjoy God's beauty in the midst of them. And I'm not talking about some kind of escapism where we don't accept that we live in the world and we don't engage with it. I'm talking about it just not being our priority to formalize and rationalize everything about our life. But all of those would submit to enjoying the presence of God, to enjoying being close to Him. And last week we talked about Sorry, in the last podcast we talked about being the poetry of God and what that means in Ephesians 2. And in this sort of psalm, the psalmist is saying that he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. But that house of the Lord, according to Jesus and what he's done, is us. We are the house of the Lord that the beauty of God is dwelling in. And I, I feel like when I read this kind of poetry, I see these two things. I see one, that A, we get to dwell in the house of God all the days of our life, and that His beauty is within us, and we get to both find His beauty without and within ourselves. And that's challenging, because it forces us, in a way, to be quite self-aware, and to be conscious of who we are and what's going on internally, and the way that the Spirit is engaging with us, with our emotions, with our spirit, and, and every aspect of our being. We don't just get to say, well, this happened and God was in that, or we went to church on Sunday and God was there, or I had this moment. We don't get to say that. Our position is that God is always in every part of our lives engaging with every aspect of who we are. And that is the beauty of his nature. That's the beauty of his existence. And it's the beauty of our life. So when we are the poetry of God, there is this relationship uh, like wine and rice wine between our humanity and God's divinity, that we have become everlasting. God has come and dwelt in us. His beauty is here. And every person is already beautiful. But the Spirit is illuminating and bringing creative life to that beauty as He lives within us. So there's that aspect of the psalm that I really love. Every person on earth is carrying the image of God. There is not a soul alive 
who does not look, smell, taste, sing, paint, work, imagine some aspect of God's person. Because in Genesis, we read, he said, I will make them in my image, and he created them man and woman. This is the challenge of beauty. It is not just those who are in Christ who are beautiful. It is every single person on earth. Be it the relative that drives you crazy, your workmate. Man, it could be your enemy. It could be Hitler or Stalin or ISIS, whatever it is. All of these people are made in God's image. There is something to love about everybody. This is the beauty of God. There is no greater presentation on earth of God's beauty than a human being. The intricacy, the, the color of their person. In that sense, there is no distinguishing between those who God is upon and those who is not. God is upon every person. The invitation of God is that we invite people to be regenerated, to have the life of God come and draw out all the fullness of that in that person. But to engage with the beauty of God as poetry engages with beauty is to accept that somehow, always in the tension of life, you have divinity and humanity kissing and and merging and engaging with each other. And that's what I love about the Psalms. The Psalms are never afraid to highlight beauty alongside suffering or discord or disconnect. The Psalms aren't afraid of talking about broken relationships or enemies or any of these things. But they can always hold them in tension with beauty and with love and with hope. And that's amazing. You see, beauty is less definable than prose. When we're talking about beauty, what are we talking about? Nobody can quite distinguish it. You know, you just know when you see it. You know when you experience it. You know when you're having a moment of wonder. And that's the spirit. And that's the life of the spirit. We know beauty because we've seen God. And once you've seen beauty in Him, it's all that's worth striving for in your life. It's magnificent. So coming back to my experience as a teenager, life went on after that moment and I started to live my life really focusing hard on becoming the kind of person I felt God wanted me to be. And over time, that beauty and that that poetry prose tension flipped and I went from predominantly knowing God through experience to knowing him through theology and I went and studied theology at university and I loved it I spent years preaching it and writing about it and and all of that was amazing and to to be honest man I, I came to know God so intimately there through the understanding the theology of Trinity and all of these things but my my nature is always to do one thing and get obsessed with it and then switch and do another. Um, I mean, you, you can ask my wife. Like, I will eat the same breakfast every single morning for about eight months and then I won't be able to touch it again for like years and years and years. I'm so obsessive-compulsive. So I went from this earlier life of beauty and poetry into being obsessed with prose and I learned so much and I love it. But over time... Life starts to dry up and the wonder starts to leave. And at, at other moments of my life, that became cynicism or skepticism. And I walked out of the doors of a church and I didn't come back for years. And, you know, I loved the church and I loved God's people. But for me, I was struggling. I had built so much prose around my faith 
that it was far too easy to point the finger of blame or or get let frustration or hurt from other people affect my walk through what I know that God had invited me into this community of people. And so even then you can you can say that you're looking for beauty but cynicism is still the underlying um, emotion of your life. And then in in these last sort of 5 years this place that I've come to is that I because of my health and my being unwell what it's meant is that I my mind would uh, be really foggy and it would lead to high anxiety or high depression. And only recently I've discovered that it's actually mostly to do with my gut and that there's some huge food allergies that I've had for a long time that has been causing a lot of these issues. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that, you know, week to week it still seems to come and go. So this foggy mind would happen and I would try and sit down and pray or think about things and I just couldn't anymore, not like I used to be able to. So I started up journaling and because somehow writing and seeing the words and, and letting it flow out onto a piece of paper became more tangible and able for me. So I made my routine, because I was working for myself, traveling and doing music, I made my routine every morning, no matter what I did, get up, go to the cafe at 8, 8.30, and I would write for an hour, hour and a half, and I would pray. And I would talk to God, I would ask Him things, and He would speak back. And at first it was kind of scary, because I felt like, man, how do I know if this is God, and not just me making this stuff up? But over time I started to see that I was changing. The things that He was saying about me were changing. And they weren't the things that I expected. It wasn't that God was coming and saying, fix this and do this and you're bad. It was actually the opposite and it blew my mind. It was that he was coming and saying, I love you and I want to work on this. And he would bring up things that I wasn't aware about in my life, that I had no self-consciousness of. And we would process it and journal it together. Things about my childhood, things about the way I make decisions or the way I treat my wife and my kids. And I could honestly say, time after time, I would walk out of those mornings of, of, of journaling and praying and conversation with God, and I would, I would just be different. And in the process of that, it started, I started to hunger so much in connecting with God and speaking with Him that all of the pros it remained just as important. I mean, I read a lot of books and listen to a lot of podcasts, but all of these things became... Uh, feeders into this intimacy and this this close relationship that was growing, which was a friendship with God, this beautiful friendship with God. And then that developed into um, him speaking to me about others and being able to share beautiful words for them and then going to sleep at night and having beautiful dreams. And the more I focused on actually walking with God, the more I focused on relating to him and knowing him, the more he spoke and the more I was transformed to the point now where I just, I can't go a day without journaling or I long for dreams every night I'm praying for dreams because these things help me to connect with my father and and my father is not wanting to judge. You know, I heard someone saying the other day that uh, he was talking about the great banquet, you know, the story where Jesus says this master puts on a great banquet and he invites uh, these people to come and they say no. And so he sends others out and he sends others out until eventually all the poor, the sick, the broken and everything, everyone has come in. And this, uh, the speaker was meditating on the fact that in the New Testament, Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven and likens his presence in the end and all of that kind of stuff, what's to come, to a feast. I think it was 14 times. Only once does he talk about a judgment throne. Only one of those stories is God judging the sheep and the goats. 
And he made this amazing observation that because of our fear, we get totally stuck on the judgment seat separation thing. And in actual fact, that's just talking about how we treat the poor. That we forget that the majority of God's language was around the table, around hospitality. It was around beauty. I mean, the table, a feast is poetry. A feast is relationships. It's wine. It's food. It's feeling home. It's the warmth of family. This is the beauty of God. This is relationship. To live a life of faith is to accept that God loves you. To accept that not only is God beautiful, but that you're beautiful. And that He lives within you, wanting to display that beauty to the world around you. For me, beauty has to be the number one goal of our spiritual walk. Because a person engaged with the beauty of God cannot go into their family, their workplace, into politics, into the public sphere and not project that beauty onto other people. They can't not see it in the other. They can't miss the Imago Dei, the God in every person. A person centered on beauty is far more interested in drawing the beauty out of another than on judging them harshly about their actions because it doesn't fit their paradigm. When you have prose and poetry working together, when you have truth and law and beauty working together, you find grace. Because grace is the gentleness that beauty needs to give people the space to become who they are called to become.